St. Warburg's Derby. We are coming towards the end of a series. We've been thinking about um, our identity and who we are. And we've been talking a little bit about the fact that we are children of God, that we are chosen, we're not forsaken, that uh, we were lost but now we're found. We've talked about the, God, the, the fact that God is with us, he's for us, not against us. And last week we spoke about the fact that God has set us free. And this morning, really all I'm going to talk about for the next 20, 25 minutes is that you all need to support Southampton Football Club. Um, that is effectively the message of my sermon this morning. Um, and uh, if you get nothing else out of this morning, you're a saint. See what I've done there? See what I've done? Uh, there is a St. Warburg's fancy football league. Um, and uh, at the beginning of the year, there's about 20, I think it's about 23, 24 people on this fa- fancy football league. Um, and uh, in fancy football, if you, those of you who don't know it, if you have a life, congratulations to you. If you don't have a life, you know about fancy football. Um, and what you do is you pick your team, you select players, you have an amount of money to pay uh, to pay to have your team. And um, you come up with this team and then you have to come up with a name. And some of the names in the Southampton, eh, not in the Southampton, St. Werberg's fancy football league. Uh, uh, you know, we've got such good ones like it's, it's Coming Home. It's Coming Home 98. My personal favourite, Duffield Wednesday. I think that's a genius. Well done, James, wherever you are. Is he even here? There you go, Duffield Wednesday. And actually, Duffield Wednesday's running ahead of it at the top, running away with the league. They're going to win by hands down. Um, but I, I kind of... Um, what I like about Duffield Wednesday is I normally you would call my football teams Man United. My surname's Phil Man, so Man United or Man City would be my team. But so Duffield, I like what you've done there. But this year, I kind of planted a worm into the St. Werberg's Fantasy Football League. And I've called my team Saints Not Sinners. And they all thought it was just a funny name because I'm a Southampton football fan. But no, 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 there's theological truth in this. Even in fantasy football world, there is theological truth. Because this morning, we're going to look at exactly that. You are a saint, not a sinner. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you want to speak to us and you want to help us to understand who we are in you. And so we ask that you'll speak this morning into all our hearts and minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have also to point out the fact that my football team is obviously Salamson Football Club, and um, they are absolutely rubbish at the moment, and are about to swap positions with Derby County. And uh, that even, I mean, it won't fully swap positions in my heart, but Derby County is definitely rising hard and fast. So anyway, uh, if you're not into football this morning, I am going to talk about some other things, so don't panic. Um, I can see Leah breathing a sigh of relief. It's not just football this morning. So who are you? How do you define yourself? What are the words that you speak over yourself about who you are? Are you an engineer? Are you a doctor? Are you a student? Are you a Remainer or a Brexiteer? 
Are you British? Are you English? Are you from the Midlands or are you from Southampton? What are the words that you use, you choose to describe who you are? How do you see yourself? For some of us, that may be all those positive things. It may be that we are successful, that we're a business person, that we're a family person, that we've created these things and we're moving forward and we're doing well. I'm okay. For some of us, that may be more negative. I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. I'm not cool, sexy, funny enough. I'm a victim. There may be all sorts of different things, different words that you might speak over yourself. And as we've gone through this series, for those of you who've tracked with us through this series, you might be sitting here going, okay, Phil, you've asked these questions enough. I know the answer. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. And I'm forgiven and I'm set free. But who, therefore, are we? Who are we at St. Werberg's? What is our identity? What are, who are we as a community forming ourselves to be? Because St. Paul, Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, wrote the letters in the New Testament, is very clear when he writes to a church the language that he uses to describe the people he's writing to. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles around on a table just over there if you want to grab one, or it's going to come up on the screens. Paul normally starts his letter. There was a kind of formula for him to start how he would write and talk to people, and he would normally start with, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ, blah, 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 two, two. That's how he would start his letters. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 Actually, first one and two, we read this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, and our brother, brother Sothenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Two. The church in Corinth, those called to be holy people. The pattern repeats. In Romans, Paul starts that. He goes, actually, his opening bit about himself is about six verses long. And then he gets in verse seven in Romans chapter one. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Ephesians chapter one, verse one. To God's holy people in Ephesus. Philippians 1 verse 1, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. And then in Colossians chapter 1 verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. When Paul writes a letter, when he writes to a group of people, a group of Christians, to a church in a certain area, he says, you are called to be holy people. That is who you are. That's how he addresses us. If he was writing to us this morning, to the holy people in Derby. That is who we are. 
Now, I had to um, uh, understand this word, holy people, a little bit more, understand a little bit more of the, the, the language that is used here. The Greek word is hagios, I believe is how you pronounce it, hagios. And it's, um, it's an adject- adjective. So um, I grew up in the generation where we didn't learn grammar. At least that's the excuse that I'm holding to. I don't understand adjectives, verbs, nouns, and all that type of stuff. So I had to look this up. So an adjective, for those of you who are thick like me, an adjective is a word naming an attribute of a noun. Right, it doesn't help if you don't understand what the noun is, but it's a word describing something. So I then had to look up what the word noun meant, because I really am that thick. A word used to identify any class of people, place, or thing. So hagios is a describing word for a person, a group of people. It is the, it's what that group is. Holy. Holy. We are called to be a holy people. When you look up the Greek and you understand what hagios, it says a most holy thing, a saint. In the New King James Version of the Bible and the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, it would translate the beginning of every one of Paul's letters. It would say, to the saints in. To the saints in Rome, the saints in Corinth, the saints in Ephesus. That is the word that they would use to, dis- to transcribe and understand the word hagios. You are a saint. Saint means to be set apart to be other, to be called out. The word separate, in in this kind of sense, to be holy, it means that we are separated towards God. That we are not just as we thought we were, but we are something other. Within the word, there's an understanding of covenant. There is a relationship that's entered into. It's not just a a transaction. It's not just a um, legal contract. It is a covenant. It's like a marriage. When two people get married, they enter into a covenant and they are set apart for each other. Therefore, they are different. They are other than what they would be if they were single and ready to mingle. You are entering into a relationship that says, I am set apart for them. A saint is someone who has entered into a covenant, entered into a relationship, and said, I am set apart for God. And so you might think, well, okay, Phil, that's all great. They must be some really holy people. Uh, This can't be attributed to me, because obviously Paul's writing to these Christians in the early churches. So they must be the ones who are really holy. I'm just, you know, I'm just me. I know who I am. Um, Corinth. The church in Corinth was known as the most sexually immoral church going. Corinth itself was on a um, kind of crossroads, ready for trade and commerce. And as part of that, there was all sorts of prostitution. And it's alleged that at one point there was a thousand shrine temple prostitutes. And that this, this sexual immorality had not just infiltrated the culture, but it was right in the midst of the church. And Paul writes to them and says, to those called to be saints, to those called to be holy people. When writing to the church in Colossae, they were known as heretics. People who had 
downplayed who Jesus was and what he had achieved for them. The church was full of heresy. If you read the letter to the Colossians, it's kind of, Paul was trying to refute it time and time and time again. They'd got their thinking wrong. And yet Paul writes to them and says, to the saints at Colossae. Whether it's by our actions or by our thoughts, we might think we're not ready or good enough to be saints. But Paul is saying straight away to them, you are saints. That is who you are. And why? Why can Paul be so confident? Why can he be kind of so kind of theologically straightforward and say, that's who you are? Because, as we read back in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, all of this is because of Jesus. Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. There are two big theological words going on in uh, when we become Christians, when we get, become saved. There's a word that's called justification, and there's one sanctification. Justification, the way I like to remember it, and this, is, this maybe dates me, um, when, you, when you get your Word document and you press justify, on the, it, it kind of gets everything kind of marginal, marginal, the margins even is what I'm trying to say. It's kind of all neat and tidy and set and straight, isn't it? You're justified. You are put right. It looks right. You are justified. You are justified with God because of Jesus. You are put right with God because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Sanctification is the process, the change, the, what happens inside of us day by day. Justification happened once and for all upon the cross. Jesus died for us. Sanctification takes place daily within us. It is a process, a journey of transformation. The Greek word for sanctified is hagizeo, from the same root word as hagios for saint. But this, this is the verb. Again, I had to look up what that meant. It's an action. It's a doing. The action, the doing of becoming a saint, the action, the doing of becoming holy is all done in Christ Jesus, Paul says. How do we become cleansed? How do we become pure? How do we become holy? Jesus. Jesus is doing all the work for us. It is not us. So we are set apart. We are made holy because of Jesus. How does that work? Well, again, if we jump back to Colossians. Sorry, we're jumping around this morning, various different passages. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, we read this. For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has brought us from one kingdom into another. He has transferred us from one place to another. I can't think of any examples of this happening in this direction. I can think of many going the other way. But if you imagine, like, is anybody here a Manchester United fan? Or, okay, that's... okay. Um, we will pray for you later. Um, Manchester United are known as the Red Devils. That's their nickname. That's who they are. 
And if someone had transferred from Manchester United to Southampton, they would have gone from the dominion of darkness, and I'm adamant on that, into becoming a saint. They'd have gone from one to the other. As I said, I can't think of many people who've done that. I can think of many people who've left Southampton to go on to Manchester United, or in particular Liverpool. Um, But when a person transfers in when they're playing in sport, whatever sport it is, when you transfer from one team to the other, you go from being under one set of rules, under one set of management, wearing one certain type of kit, doing one certain amount of tactics and certain training, and suddenly you move to something else. You're in a different kit, different management, different tactics, different place. There would be no point transferring from one team to the other, going out, getting all that money spent on you, and then going back to where you were. You, they'd look at you and go, you're crazy, you're not from here, you don't, you don't belong here anymore, you belong over there. Jesus has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, into his kingdom. We've gone from being under one set of management and rules and how we live into another one, and we are now here. And so we have to act here. We have to be here. I remember um, 10 years ago or so, I was ordained. I was... um, the, the bishop laid hands on me, and I was ordained to be a, um, a deacon in the Church of England. And um, I freaked out when that happened, because it felt like, uh, for me, I turned 30, got ordained, and shaved my head all in one go, and it felt like I'd become a proper adult, and it's scary. And um, suddenly I was different. Something had changed. Not only was I just Phil Man, I was Reverend Phil Man. Now, so I tried to hide that, and I, it struggled for me to kind of step into it and to understand it and live like it. And it wasn't until we moved to Gerald's Cross where um, suddenly I had to wear what vicars wore more often. And in particular, I had to wear the dog collar. I do have them. I know, Werbs, you've never seen it. But I do have the dog collar. I even have robes. You'll never, ever see that. Um... But the weird thing about wearing a dog collar is the first time you have to do it in public. It's okay when you're kind of doing it around church life and people know who you are and they're in the system and they understand what's going on. But suddenly when you put a collar on and you walk through where you live, people look at you differently. They expect different things from you. They expect you to be nice and kind and caring. I remember the first time I did it, I had to go to Marks and Spencers um, because that's the type of place we live. Marks and Spencers and Waitrose, not Aldi and Lidl. Um, went into Marks and Spencers to get my sandwich. All I wanted to do was get a sandwich and get out. And the guy on the till just wanted to talk to me. Wanted to tell me everything. Almost wanted to confess his sins right there and then in the middle of Marks and Spencers. Because he saw something and he said, I want to... I expect him to act like this. I expect him to want to engage with me. All I was thinking is, I'm really hungry. Hurry up. But you become something different. We've already used the example of marriage. But maybe when you get a job, when you become a doctor, when you become whatever it is you are, and suddenly you have to think, okay, I've now got to be 
that. I've got to act like that. That is who I now am. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are now made holy. You are a saint. That is who you are. That is who we are. Saints. Now you might all be asking, well, hang on a minute, Phil. I still feel very much like a sinner. I still know my errors, my mistakes. I still get what I do wrong. So how can you say I'm not a sinner anymore, I'm a saint? The reality to this is that we become, we've got to own the peace that we are. I am a saint. Do I sin? Yes, I do. And I take with that all the seriousness and the pain and the, uh, the inappropriateness of it but I'm a saint. And so I try to live like a saint. I try to look like a saint. I try to, no, that's a joke. Um, I try to stay that this is who I am. If we just have the mindset that, oh, I'm a sinner saved by grace, well, then sin just becomes second nature. We can just carry on sinning because I'm a sinner. That's who I am. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Whereas if we say, I am a saint, I am a saint, we start to act like a saint, someone who is set apart, someone who is made holy, someone who is living for God. Just imagine with me for a moment a church full of people who absolutely 100% understand that they are saints, not sinners. That no longer start thinking in the way that, oh, I'm just a sinner, I'm just going to be doing these things, that's who I am, I'm stuck in this pattern, but go, no, I'm this, and I'm going to live this out. Can you imagine what that looks like? We have a vision here at Werbs to build an authentic community which is Christ-centered that plays our part in transforming the city and beyond. And I think a, city, a, a church of people who understand that they are saints, that we are saints together, we are in this together, who start living out as saints and believing that we're under this management, under these set of rules, under this guidance and tactics, well, that's going to see a transformed city. Because we have a city that needs to be confident, confident not in ourselves, but in the one who created us, the one who loves us, and the one who saves us.